We're back with another PW Torch VIP podcast, Vault 4, Wednesday, February 28th, 2024. Today, we jump back 18 years to my review of the February 27th, 2006 episode of WWE Raw. This included a Kiss My Ass Club segment with Vince McMahon, with Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty and Shane McMahon. Also, Ric Flair versus Carlito in the main event, plus Trish Stratus, RVD, Big Show, Kane, Shelton Benjamin, and more. This is the latest in our ongoing series of some of the earliest surviving insider pro wrestling podcasts you'll find anywhere. And we bring them to you exclusively here at PW Torch VIP. This is Torch Editor Wade Keller with a VIP audio analysis of the February 27th edition of WWE Raw. The show opened with hype for the most important thing on the show, not the uh, Triple H, John Cena hype, not Mick Foley answering Edge's challenge, not the Money in the Bank qualifying matches, which would be announced later, but of course, Vince McMahon inducting Marty Jannetty into the Kiss My Ass Club. They uh, recap the whole storyline from last week's show to hype this week's main event of Vince McMahon dropping his pants. Then uh, Joey Styles' coach and Jerry Lawler introduced the show and uh, previewed some of the less important things going on, uh, such as a women's title match and such. Then Edge came out, uh, pretty much kicked the show off live with a full ring intro with Lita, and he said he wanted to hear Mick Foley's answer. Would he agree to wrestle him at WrestleMania? Um, he took some shots at Mick Foley, said, you know, maybe you won't be at WrestleMania. Maybe you'll whore yourself out to some indie show or write another book that nobody is going to read. But he said, surely WrestleMania must be your best option. So then uh, he said if, if Mick didn't answer the challenge, well, Mick could, he would chase Mick Foley down himself. Well, Mick Foley then came out and uh, made, came out to his crashing uh, intro music and did kind of the Mick Foley routine. Uh, that we've come to know and either love or, or be kind of bored with. And with me, it's kind of a combination right now. A little more bored than love, actually. You know, got the little snide, uh, or not snide, but just a little self-deprecating Washington, D.C. plug-in for the cheap pop, which, I don't know, I guess it was kind of funny a while ago. Now it seems like maybe it needs to be retired. But anyway, he said that uh, Edge lost the scene at the Rumble, and again, two weeks ago on Raw, so he needs to stop blaming him for his, his Edge's shortcomings and take some responsibility and uh, he said that Edge choked, and then the only one who will, uh, Edge said the only one who will be choking is McFoley when he wraps his hands around him at Mania. Well, at this point, Foley said, no, because I'm not going to be at Mania. I'm not going to wrestle you. And Edge uh, didn't understand. He said, why not? And, and Foley said, well, I have nothing to prove. Um, he says, I'm the greatest transitional champion of all time. He pointed out that while Edge only held the title once for a short stretch, he's held it three times. Foley defined what a transitional champion was. Right man, right place, right time. Who happens to win it? He stopped short of using Buster Douglas as the example, but he is the classic uh, definition of right place, right man, right time. And so anyway, he said he had nothing to prove. The fans chanted Foley, and Edge said, that's right, because you're the great Mick Foley. But then Edge used reverse psychology or psychological warfare on him and said, well, if you have nothing to prove, how about these this list of items? I guess this isn't exactly uh, reverse psychology, it's straightforward psychology. He said, if you say you have nothing to prove, well, you've never won, you've never won at WrestleMania. Um, he said, yeah, you know, maybe you've had a DQ or whatever, but you've never had a classic legend-making WrestleMania performance. And he said, you certainly crave it. And he said, I, the R-rated superstar, have never lost at WrestleMania. He talked about other great gimmick matches he's won over the years, uh, Money in the Bank, TLC, that type of thing. Uh, Foley responded by saying that, you know, he's right. Edge, Edge is right. He does have a desire for a big WrestleMania moment, 
and he said while he refuses to wrestle him in a regular match at WrestleMania, he would challenge him now to a different kind of match. You and me at WrestleMania in a hardcore match. And then he reached in and, and grabbed a barbed wire baseball bat from the back, and uh, Edge and Lita ran away through the crowd as, as Foley chased after him with a bat. Or actually, more so, just walked to the ring with a bat. So, basically, we've got the official match, one, another official match for WrestleMania, which is Mick Foley against Edge in a hardcore match, assuming that they officially make that official. Which we know they will. It's just a matter of Edge accepting it or being forced into it. So, basically, we're guaranteed uh, a match where you can close your eyes for ten minutes and imagine what you're going to get to a great degree um, with a hardcore match, which is Mick Foley not exactly having to get himself in wrestling shape, not having to uh, put in much of a performance that would harken back to his peak days, but put in a, a mundane, everyday, coming-out-of-retirement type match that is just standing around and hitting, hitting edge with weapons. And, and that's the expectations I think a lot of fans are going to have. Now, Foley might have enough pride to bring more than that. And Edge may, may be able to find a way to get more out of it. But I, I just think the term hardcore is not the right one to use because the hardcore title turned into such a joke. I mean, you had, you know, it would change hands, you know, 14 times on one episode of Raw. It could change hands, change hands any place, anytime, anywhere. Uh, you had Crash Holly as like a 97-time champion. Just, you know, I just don't think the term hardcore has the same ring to it that it did when Mick Foley used to use it with pride. Maybe, maybe Foley overrides that. Maybe Foley is larger. Foley's hardcore legend is larger than WWE watering it down so badly for years. But I'm not so sure. And I, I just think it's the wrong... I mean, it, the word, it's so hard because the word hardcore is so associated with Foley, but it's so associated with, with lower card gimmick match, too, that with no intensity. That's just, you know, making a mockery out of grudge matches and weapons. So, not crazy about the segment. Um, you know, Edge was fine. Lee didn't have a chance to do anything. I think they could have done more with this. I, I would have liked to have seen something more personal be at stake with Foley, where it brought it not fully out of the... The uh, the soft, light-hearted Santa Claus fully into a new uh, into another level, and maybe they'll still get there. Uh, but not crazy about this. I don't. I think they could have approached this a lot of other ways, and, and and come up with something where fans actually believe Mick Foley had a reason to want to tear Edge apart, and, and having Edge question him as not being uh, not having a great WrestleMania moment. I just don't think does it. It just doesn't cut it. I think it's a pretty Pretty weak segment and disappointing. They've got a few weeks left to improve on it. We'll see what happens. Then the first match of the show was Kane and Big Show defending the, uh, or I don't know if they were defending, but uh, the tag team champs, taking on Viscera and Val Venus, who became number one contenders by wrestling on WWE.com Heat recently. That was given, information was given to us by Coach, so Heat gets a little plug on Raw. Match itself, uh, gosh, you could, just exactly what you would expect. The, the big moment of the match, though, was Big Show body slamming Viscera, which was immediately compared to Hulk Hogan against Andre the Giant. Um, there was also a pretty impressive flying shoulder tackle by Big Show on Viscera. Um, in the end, Viscera got or uh, Val Venus got uh, double choke slammed. Um, no, Viscera got double choke slammed. I'm sorry for the three count. Um, three and a half minute match. You know, it was just a battle of a lot of big men, and they're to fill some time. Um, gosh, it might have been one of the better matches on the show, which is amazing, because it wasn't a good show for wrestling. Then, backstage, someone's been reading the Torch blog, the Torch Today blog. Todd Grisham interviewed Ric Flair backstage, who talked about his age and his title reigns. And he said, if someone doesn't think I'm going to have another title reign, despite just turning 57, they don't know the nature boy. It was good to, uh, good to see Flair getting some mic time. Wasn't a great interview from Flair, though. 
Um, he's definitely done better. It seemed like he was kind of going through the motions. It's, it, it's just, it's tough. You know, I, I, I think Flair would be more valuable to WWE wrestling once a year or four or five, six times a year tops, rather than sixty times a year like he wrestles. And I'm talking just television and pay per view. Uh, and if they made him a special attraction where he didn't wrestle on TV, but he did wrestle at house shows, because God knows Ric Flair wants to wrestle at house shows. I mean, he that's his preference is to. Uh, is to stay on the road, and, 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 and he doesn't know what else to do with himself at this point. So if he wants to work house shows, you know, I'd, I'd put him in, in situations that didn't wear down his body too badly. Um, but, uh, but you know, that's fine. But I just think keep him off of TV and really treat him like a legend. I mean, it, it, treat him like a major, it's a major news story whenever he decides to get in the ring and really pay reference to, uh, to, I mean, Jimmy Snuka gets treated with more respect than Ric Flair. You know, Jimmy Snuka shows up and it's like, oh my God, this is the guy who jumped off the top of the cage at MSG and his music's a big deal and everyone talks about it and Flair just is taken for granted and I mean, I'm glad they gave him mic time. That's a positive. And it wasn't a great interview from Flair so he probably didn't do himself any favors but it was okay. Uh, but, boy, I just, I, I just think there's a much better way to use, utilize him and make more money from, by having him featured less. Marty Giannetti approached Shawn Michaels backstage and he said, uh, he, he did not kiss ass on his, uh, during his career in the younger days, but it's a different situation now. And he just begged Michaels. He asked Michaels, please don't interfere. Stay out of his business. Let him do what needs to get done. Then Maria interviewed Carlito. Carlito said that he uh, got permission for there to be a Money in the Bank match at Mania. There would be three qualifying matches on the show, and the three winners would move on to Mania in a Money in the Bank match where they could have that title shot, just like Edge did, waiting to use at any time. Well, he said no one would know who the opponent, who their opponent would be until they came out. So after the break, Trevor Murdoch stood in the ring, and his opponent, his surprise opponent, turned out to be Rob Van Dam. Rob Van Dam won that. We had uh, Trevor Murdoch literally going to two long chin locks and then a sleeper hold. But the sleeper hold was basically a chin lock with a hand draped over the forehead, his other arm draped over the forehead. Really bad. I mean, there's just, there's just no excuse in 2006 especially after watching what Undertaker and Kurt Angle did, to, to go out there and just waste time on TV with boring chin locks. I, I just do not get that mentality. I don't understand why management even allows it. I mean, I, maybe because the agents are older and, and they think it's okay. But, I mean, that's where people flip channels, and that's where people get kind of bored with the product. Um, there, there's just so many better things. Somebody like Trevor Murdoch, in character, could be doing than a wrestling hold like a chin lock. It just... That was bad. Rob Van Dam hit all his signature spots and uh, won with a five-star. Then uh, Trish Stratus against Candice Michelle. Trish won this one at 152 when uh, Tori tried to help Candice Michelle on a sunset flip, but it didn't work out. Candice got rolled up. Um, then after the match, one of the most memorable moments of the show was Mickey getting on her hands and knees and bowing in front of Trish, saying, "You, you, you I am not worthy. You're the greatest. And then she just crawled over to Trish and hugged her. And Trish thought this was kind of sweet and you know, here's my number one fan getting a little overly excited again. But okay, you know, if you want to hug me, that's fine. But then Trish's hands moved from her waist to her ass, started kind of, you know, acting inappropriate with her hands, and that was just the beginning. Then she shifted her head down a little bit and in between Trish's legs and just rubbed her face in Trish's crotch. Trish just got freaked out and just pushed her away, just shoved her away. And, uh, uh, and, and Mickey was just heartbroken. She couldn't believe that Trish pushed her away violently. Trish just looked at her. Like like uh, Mickey had just kicked her cat. I mean, she just <laughs> like she uh, had kicked her dog. I mean, she just could not believe um, that Mickey would push things that far. Mickey looked at Trish like she had you know just rejected 
a gift for no good reason. Um, I mean, it was just it, the facial expressions were great. I thought Mickey and Trish did a great job in this, and they're they're stretching this out. And again, it's one of the it's not single handedly going to draw a great WrestleMania buy rate, but it is going to help. It's going to help make it seem special that there is actually a women's match that uh, people are going to care about when they finally get to Mickey completely snapping. As always, the match was kind of secondary. Candice did uh, slap Tori Wilson backstage afterwards, upset that her interference backfired or didn't work out. So um, I guess we'll have Mickey versus, uh, or excuse me, uh, Trish against Tori. Uh, let me get it right here. Candice against Tori uh, in some form, either on TV or uh, I doubt it'll be at WrestleMania, but uh, maybe house shows. Then Coach, who had been bragging and ex- about getting a chance to interview John Cena, apparently all day, according to Styles and Lawler, um, he introduced John Cena for this in-ring interview. Cena walked out, got a mixed reaction. Uh, Coach said Triple H is probably the greatest wrestler alive today and asked if, if Cena really thinks he has a chance against him. Um, he said it would be like taking candy from a baby. Cena yanked the mic away from Coach, removed his sunglasses, and stared at him. Then uh, Cena... Uh, or at that point, then Triple H's music started, even before Cena could talk. And Hunter walked out and uh, got, in his fa- got in Cena's face, shooed, sh- actually shooed Coach out of the ring, just said, you've done your job, I can handle it from here. Because, you know, of course, he's you know, too good to even uh, want someone to kiss his ass. You know, that's not what he's about. Um, so he shoved Coach out of the ring and shoot him out, and then uh, told Cena, please, please tell me you weren't just about to tell the whole world you can beat me. And Cena said, you know, hey, it's true, I don't have the resume you do. Uh, and he says, I don't have your respect, just like some people in this crowd. So he kind of acknowledged that some people in the crowd don't respect him either. Again, acknowledging something to maybe try to take some of the sting or some of the, the, uh, the, the prestige that some fans feel for going against the grain away from them by acknowledging it. Um, and, and this whole interview kind of went on in a way that communicated, yeah, we know John Cena isn't the best athlete. He's not the most exciting wrestler. But, boy, does he have heart. He's like Rocky. Even Triple H used that analogy. He's like Rocky. He, can, he just fights back, and, and he's got this great fighting heart, great fighting spirit. So, it, But it didn't work. I mean, the crowd was still booing Cena. Cena you know, continued to kind of acknowledge it a little bit. Um, and, and after Triple H kind of you know, went off, Cena had a decent line. He said, you just won me 20 bucks, 20 bucks, 20 bucks in the I know what Triple H is going to say when he comes out here pool, which was a decent line, but it got booze. The fans just didn't, did not want to hear... Uh, John Cena get a one-liner on Hunter. I mean, it's it's just it's amazing um, how that uh, you know Cena just can't get the fans to cheer for him. So I I just think it is getting to the point where once they get past Mania, they're going to have to reevaluate Cena's character. Um, you know, maybe they want to push it a few more months and see if if you know it, it, losing the title to Hunter and, and get him in a different program with a strong heel might work. I don't know, uh, but they might want to reevaluate it and give him a an opportunity to be a heel for a few years if he can pull that off too. I don't know. Um, Cena's good enough. He shouldn't be mid-card. You know, I mean, he's good enough. He should be a main eventer. Um, not good enough in terms of, you know, having four-and-a-half-star matches with Chris Benoit anytime he wants. But just overall, for, for what WWE does, um, he fits well enough. they got to find something that'll work. Maybe having him as a babyface who guys boo is, is good enough. We'll see. Um, so anyway, Hunter, Hunter said that the thing that makes him... Uh, uh, different, he said, I'm different than anybody else you face. Casino bragged about how, yeah, he may not be the best athlete, but he always wins. He's won the title. And and Hunter just said, hey, I look into your eyes and I see fear. And Cena just said, well, I might not be the company's greatest athlete. You are a 10-time champion. You've beaten most everybody in this business. You can walk in this ring without a title, and, and, you're, and fans will agree you're one of the greatest. So this is all, this is all where you kind of groan. You just kind of look and you're like, 
you know, you get Hunter's insecurity coming through where he has to have people constantly reinforcing how great he is. It's kind of like when Dusty Rhodes was Booker in Jim Crockett promotions and you'd watch a show and I mean, you know, David Crockett was the number one, the number one ass kisser when it came to this on color commentary, but all the wrestlers would come out and they would all talk about Dusty Rhodes before they talked about their program. You know, you would have uh, a wrestler come out and, you know, you'd, you know, Tim Horner would be mad at somebody. Well, they didn't give Tim Horner interview time, but whoever would come out and do an interview, and, and at the beginning they'd, they'd mention Dusty, and it had nothing to do with them, but they'd talk about how Dusty's the greatest, we can't wait to see him get revenge against heel number, you know, heel X. And, and that's what's going on here in a different way, where, you know, Cena's put in a position to, to, to run down Hunter's resume and build him up and, and, and make him seem like this huge superstar. And, you know, from a marketing perspective, if that's the only reason it was being done, you could argue, hey, it's marketing, it's not ego. You know, Hunter's not the biggest, he's not a big star like Rock or Austin, but, you know, and fans know that, so you got to kind of just say it over and over again enough, and maybe they'll believe that Hunter is the greatest, and he is the best ever. And that's partly marketing, but, you know, there are aspects of this where it just comes across like, Hunter needs to hear this, and it's important that that's being said, and that it is ego-driven. And, and that's where it just, you, you kind of groan, and you go, is this really what's best for business? I understand the approach, which is, Knock down Cena's weaknesses, the ones the fans know about, the elephants in the middle of the living room. Acknowledge them and say, you know what, that's not important, though. The reason you're booing Cena isn't important. The true, the, the reason to cheer Cena is what's important. And that is that, you know, he just, he's got great fighting spirit. So I understand what they're trying to do. I just think there was a way to do it without quite, uh, I mean, we had a kiss your ass club times two on this episode, the way that Cena was scripted to talk about Hunter. Um, Vince McMahon then announced that the main event for Saturday Night's main event would be Hunter and Cena teaming up against Rey Mysterio, Randy Orton, and Kurt Angle in a three-on-two match, which I, I think makes sense. I mean, you got to find a way to get everybody on, on Saturday Night's main event before Mania and, and promote the storyline but not give away a big pay-per-view match so that WrestleMania seems dated or, or even uh, secondary to what they present. So I think this is just kind of a creative way to get a lot of star power in what they hope will be a highly rated match, have some... Interesting talent from both brands mixed with each other. Uh, we don't see uh, Hunter against Orton that often or Cena against Orton that often. And, and uh, same with Angle and Ray. So I, I think it's a good move. I mean, it's, it's the best. It's, they're making the best out of the circumstances, uh, which is draw some ratings, don't give away a singles match at Mania, but also do something that will promote Mania. So they can do a number of angles coming out of that match. So I, I'm fine with that. Then in a Money in the Bank qualifying match, uh, Shelton Benjamin beat Chavo Guerrero in five minutes after Randy Orton interfered. Um, costing Chavo uh, the match. Then a video aired of Gene Okerlund announcing he'd be inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. Um, some you know pretty interesting and bizarre clips from Okerlund's uh, years in WWE. I was talking to Bruce Mitchell about this after uh, after the show because uh, I mean I grew up on Gene Okerlund. I mean he's the guy who sold me the first wrestling tickets I ever bought um, by convincing me that I had to go. I mean he was the one who got me to beg my mom to get me tickets to the first show uh, that I went to, and I had to beg to. Uh, to beg her for about a year and a half before she finally gave in. Um, and it was Gene Okerlund who convinced me of how important it was that I, you know, run, don't walk, and get tickets. Um, uh, so anyway, I, and, and he also was a guy who came across as the ideal interviewer. I mentioned in my virtual time report on the website that Coach was standing in front of John Cena, and he was an inch taller than Cena. And I don't think people perceive Coach as being this big guy. I mean, he is. He's like, I think, six, about six foot three. He's a, he's a big guy. And he's taller than Cena, no question about it. But you don't want that to show up on television. You want your wrestlers to seem bigger than the announcers, especially someone who's treated like, you know, who's portrayed as, as a bumbling idiot and a wimp like coaches a lot of the time. 
And, and, and that's where Oakland was so good. I mean, and that's where he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for playing his role so well. And in the AWA, he did that so well. He was just, he, he, he paid respect to the baby faces. He showed disgust at the heels. He showed fear when the heels made a move towards him, though, which is very important. And, and he was really good. In WWE, they kind of played up the corny side of him. WWE had a, had a magical touch of, of, of taking one trait out of six or seven things that made someone effective in a territory. And when they would hire them, and they'd snatch them away or, or, or outbid them for their services or just naturally they ended up in their lap, they would, they, they, they would take wrestlers and they would just take one aspect of them and exaggerate it for the sports entertainment aspect of it. And overplay the card. I mean, that's kind of what happened with the Dicks and, and with the Heartthrobs and with OVW. And they've been doing it forever. Uh, they did it with Kerry Von Erich. They did it with Harley Race. They did it with uh, Hacksaw Duggan to a degree. Dick Slater, for sure, uh, was never the same, never had the same uh, uh, edge to him that he did in the territories. And they're still doing it today. And, and you could see that in Gene Okerlund. You know, that, that they, they kind of took the, the goofy aspect of Gene and, and really played that up. And it was good for some laughs, and sometimes it was overplayed. and Sometimes Gene didn't seem like uh, it just seemed like his ego was out of control and he wasn't quite as as uh, you weren't rooting for him uh, like you were in the AWA. But nevertheless, I, I do believe he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame based on uh, a lot of, for a great deal of reason for his AWA days. I think that's where I even I think he would admit that's where he was most effectively utilized and uh, uh, just a, the best fit. Although I mean he was involved in some funny stuff and some corny stuff during the really weird Saturday Night's Main Event era. Of uh, of WWF on NBC, Vince McMahon was talking to someone on the cell phone about uh, great ass kissers. Mentioned William Regal's name. Shawn Michaels come in. McMahon uh, or Michaels told McMahon, "Please leave Marty out of this." Uh, that's where Michaels blew it and opened the door for Janetti to turn on him down the line because Janetti had asked one thing of Michaels, and you can hear Marty's promo right now down the line saying, "Sean, I asked one thing of you as a friend, and that was to stay out of my business." And what did you do? Thirty minutes later, <clears throat> you're in Vince McMahon's office and you're in my business, telling him to lay off me. I can handle things myself. I may not have money or a house or a job, but I can defend myself, and, and I need to have the pride of, of handling business my way. I asked that of you, and you didn't respect that. So that, that, that planted the seed. I don't know that that's for sure where they're going to go with it, but that, that seed is planted. That is there available for them to utilize. Then Carlito against Ric Flair, some chops by Flair. Carlito regrouped at ringside. They went to commercial. They come back. Carlito got sustained offense in then got cocky. Uh, took a couple bites out of his apple as he's about to spit it on Flair. Flair kicked him, covered him, grabbed the ropes for leverage, and scored the pin. Carlito got bug-eyed and all was in complete shock that he lost his chance at Money in the Bank. I don't know what this means for Carlito at WrestleMania, but it does mean that we've got Shelton against Flair against uh, Rob Van Dam in the Money in the Bank match. So unless they find a way to add Carlito to the mix, which they could still do, um, we might end up with Carlito and Chris Masters doing something as a tag team, I guess. Um then I, I think you're either going to have Ric Flair winning the match because it would be a great tease. You know, we kind of tease in the interview. He goes, if people don't think I have one more title reign in me, they're wrong. So you have Flair of the Money in the Bank and just wait for the perfect chance to get that one last pay-per-view main event world title match against Triple H. And, you know, to be justified giving it to him because he'll have won the Money in the Bank match. It's hard to make a case that he's a number one contender when you look at his age and his win-loss record and the way he performs in the ring. But if he wins Money in the Bank... That takes away the storyline, or that gives a storyline reason for him to main event a pay-per-view. Um, so that could work. The other option is what I talked about uh, last week, which is Rob Van Dam winning it and cashing it in at the ECW pay-per-view. I think those are two very viable scenarios. I don't think they'll give Shelton the win, even though it's kind of a match that 
a heel should win because it, it makes more sense to have a heel toting around a title shot and kind of bragging about it. So I guess he can't even rule out Shelton winning it either. So if, if you think you've got 100% predictability factor going into WrestleMania, um, I'd be surprised. I, I, I'm not extremely confident that I can even rule out any one of those three as a potential as a potential winner at uh, WrestleMania for that match. Although I still think Rob Van Dam's the best direction to go in. There is a potential to make something work pretty well with Ric Flair also. Uh, the match itself with Carlito wasn't very good, though. I mean, Flair just just can't go out there with Carlito and have a great match anymore. Then uh, Spirit Squad entered the ring, cheered uh, cheered uh, Marty Jannetty for, as he came up. Vince McMahon introduced him. And he left no room for Marty to have any dignity. I mean, just played off his real-life stuff. I remember Eddie, Eddie Gilbert um, was one of the first wrestlers who really talked to me at length about uh, about the industry, about how, how the business worked, the late Eddie, Eddie Gilbert, and uh, uh, died way too young. He was a great booking mind, had such passion for the business, grew up in the, watching the Memphis Territory, and ended up uh, in, in booking positions regionally uh, early on in his life in Memphis and, uh, and, and Mid-South. But it just never... Uh, it just it just didn't reach the point it could have with him being a power broker because drugs uh, drugs uh, ended his life prematurely, which is way too bad. But he was somebody I spent a lot of time talking to on the phone in my early days doing the torch, and he always talked about the uh, the, the approach they always use in Memphis, which was to take a touch of reality and incorporate it into promos, and that they did that in Memphis more often than any other territory, and uh, and and some territories didn't do it at all. They just kept you know real life out of it. They didn't want to offend people or hurt people's feelings. It just, you know, it's one of those don't go there type things. Well, Eddie Gilbert believed you you should go there and that you should incorporate real life into it because fans, it draws fans into it. And if they think there's something real behind it, everyone's a better actor because you can react to something real. And that's what's going on here. I mean, Marty is destitute. He is broke. He has had troubles with the law. He is jobless. He is homeless. He can't afford car payments. I mean, he it's it's a sad story. And it makes Marty somewhat sympathetic, although you kind of ask yourself, well, you know, gosh, I mean, how much money did you earn in your career, and how did you blow it all? And you know, should we really feel that sorry for you? You got to watch how far you take it. But in this case, it it played into McMahon being just a bully, and McMahon just bullied Marty and and just said, you know, the only way that you get a job, and I know how much you need it, is to join the Kiss My Ass Club. And, and Vince, by the way, had dropped his pants in the locker room, so you could see his entire right buttocks were just slapping it and rubbing it, getting it ready to be smooched in the next segment. So Marty's out here. Vince drops his pants to his ankles. He's wearing black bikini underwear, uh, tucks the, the back of the bikini into a G-string type thing and his ass crack. And then, uh, his, his, I mean, his whole butt is exposed. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous that this is on national television. And, uh, and it, but he, I think, you know, he's using his, uh, his, his button-up shirt uh, for, to cover up the front. Uh, if he had his way, he probably wouldn't. But uh, censors luckily have their way in this case. So anyway, he, he had Marty get on his knees, and then he bent over and, and moved in for, for, the, for the kiss, and Marty kind of delayed, 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 almost couldn't keep a straight face, like he was breaking character a little bit. And Marty just finally stood up and said, no. He goes, there's got to be another way. He couldn't do it. Um, and, and, you know, making everybody else who kissed his ass to look good look bad. I mean, who, who was more desperate for a job than Marty Jannetty? You know, not Jim Ross, not William Regal. I mean, I, the people who joined the million... The, the Kiss Kiss My Ass Club have been in better shape storyline-wise and real-life-wise than Marty. So, um, you know, Marty came across as a hero for not doing it. Well, McMahon said there's always a B plan, and out came uh, Chris Masters. And he put Marty in the master lock and started just shaking him around. And, you know, Vince said, if you can break this hold, then uh, you can have a job. Well, as soon as Marty started showing some fight, like he might actually break the hold, McMahon kicked him in the gut, and uh, and Marty's comeback 
was over. So then uh, um, Shawn Michaels ended up um, running out and made the save, punched Masters, knocked him out of the ring with a weak super kick. Then he stood in front of the ring in front of McMahon. McMahon's pants were still down because McMahon was in such a panic from Shawn Michaels running out, he couldn't pull his pants up. Um, McMahon begged off a little bit, and then Shane McMahon jumped Michaels from behind. Um, Lawler said that Shane came out from under the ring. I don't know why he'd have to hide under the ring all night. I mean, just run to the ring like everybody else. So I thought that was kind of unnecessary if, if they did that. Mike, uh, Shane nailed Michaels with a chair again. Vince said that if he wants to face McMahon so badly, he'd be facing Shane one-on-one in a street fight at Saturday night's main event. So I was kind of wondering how Shane was going to fit into this if they were going to just, you know, if Vince wasn't going to wrestle or they're going to kind of do a tag match with the Rockers against uh, Shane and Vince. But none of that has as much drawing power as Vince against, Shane, uh, against Michaels does one-on-one. So now they're going to get a, a decent match with Shane on NBC, national TV, gets to gets to bleed and take big bumps and, and, and be the play wrestler again. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it is what it is. But it, it, it's a good, it's, again, it's probably the best use of ratings and a good way to promote the match, building up to WrestleMania with uh, Michaels against McMahon. I don't know where Marty fits into all this now. Marty might be done. That might have been it. Um, they sure didn't make much of an issue with Marty. Um, at, you know, it, all the focus shifted to Shane and Michaels and Vince. Marty didn't make a comeback or anything. So maybe Marty got to keep his dignity, but he doesn't get a job. But he at least didn't have to kiss McMahon's ass on national TV. We'll see. Um, it's something I'll check into and see if uh, if I can find out if Marty's got uh, if there are plans to utilize Marty beyond uh, this week. It, it just didn't seem like it coming out of this. But there's a lot of ways they can reincorporate Marty into the mix, and actually I hope they do because um, I was looking forward to a, a four-week story arc with with Marty involved with Sean, and so I'll be disappointed if they don't do that. Then. Uh, uh, so anyway, no, that's pretty much it. I mean, that was the end of the show. Uh, Vince and Shane celebrated. They walked to the back. They uh, replayed uh, the angle, and the show went off the air. So that's it. I mean, I think they did a good a good job uh, but promoting WrestleMania in some of the top matches, but in some ways it was disappointing. I think it could have been better. I, I think the money in the bank was done just fine um, and, and, and built some intrigue. Vince, the whole Kiss My Ass segment, it comes across as a spectacle. I mean, if you're a wrestling fan, you got to see it. It's historical. I don't know if it turns people off. I think people just kind of laugh and giggle. Certainly in the crowd, that's what they were doing. Um, and the, uh, the the Edge Foley segment was probably the biggest letdown of the show. I, I think they're capable of more. It wasn't bad. It's just, it's just I think they could have done better. I, I think that there's there's a better way to approach this than demeaning each other, uh, having, having them uh, talk down about each other in that way, the way they did about being transitional champions. And then the hardcore match is kind of a letdown. I mean, in some ways it's for the better because Foley probably doesn't want to get himself in shape. I mean, there's a lot of work to get in shape when you're not in shape in order to wrestle. And you can get hurt. There's a lot at risk. So um, it's probably the only way to do it. But it just doesn't seem special. Mick Foley coming out of retirement should feel like a big deal. And, and somehow they've watered it down to the point where it almost feels like he never went away. And, and, and that's just unfortunate. I mean, I, that's where, you know, there are better ways to utilize Foley and Flair. But it just shows being away for a while and coming back isn't a guarantee of, of it seeming special if you're not portrayed the right way. And fully just is, is not being portrayed as the level of star that he was when he lost the retirement match. But overall, I give a, a slight thumbs up to the show. It, there wasn't much good wrestling, but there was just enough going on that was positive. Um, and uh, it felt like a newsworthy show throughout. And I wasn't bored um, other than those uh, few, chin, the few chin locks that we had that we didn't need. Um, but overall, a newsworthy and memorable show. So slight thumbs up on my end, although I, I would not argue with anybody who wanted to give it a thumbs down because it is a show that if, if there are certain things that aren't your thing, um, it's real easy to not think it was two hours well spent. 
That is it for now. Thanks for uh, listening. And this is Wade Keller, Torch Editor, signing off. Till next time.